0: Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they were terrified, and they left him and went away. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. This is probably one of the least popular gospel readings of the entire, um, well, scriptures, frankly. Probably second only to Romans chapter 13, where St. Paul instructs even more directly that we pay our taxes. There's nothing that's more offensive to us than to take what we believe is ours and have to give it to a king, especially an ungodly one, even to tyrants. And yet, that is what Jesus teaches us in the gospel today. It's a hard lesson for us to learn, and I think it's hard for us because we secretly are just like the Pharisees and the Herodians, and we want Jesus' kingdom to be not, well, of heaven, but rather of this world. This, of course, is what's motivating so much of the world politics, which we've been discussing in our Bible study on Ezekiel even heard the new Speaker of the House uh, declare boldly that Israel's our friend and that God had ordained him to become Speaker of the House so that, well, Israel can fight this godly war, along with the Israeli Prime Minister, or whatever his title is, Benjamin Netanyahu, is that how you say it? Close enough. Um, Who also says that he is actually, or Israel is fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah and they are a light in the darkness and it's their job to destroy the darkness that light may reign. Talk about blasphemy. Whether it's the Christian Zionists or it's the actual Hebrew Zionists, they don't believe what Jesus says in today's gospel text, that there are two words from God, the law and the gospel, And those words operate in two different domains. Two kingdoms as we define them as Lutherans. The kingdom, the left-hand kingdom, the kingdom of this world, and the right-hand kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Of course, Jesus is even more explicit during Holy Week when he is put on trial by these same Pharisees and chief priests. They bring him before Pontius Pilate, who of course is a Roman governor, meaning he belongs to the kingdom of the left, the kingdom of this world. And They supposedly are actually of God's kingdom, but they go to the earthly king in order to bring about, well, for them, is an earthly judgment. But in Jesus' discourse with Pontius Pilate, remember, Pilate asks him, are you a king? And Jesus says, well, you say that I am. For this purpose I have come into the world, is to bear witness to the truth. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, I'd have my disciples fighting with swords and clubs and that sort of thing. We'd be trying to overthrow you, but my kingdom is not of this world. So you are a king then, Pilate says. And of course, Pilate asserts then, even inscripturates Jesus as Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. Insists that that be written and put above the cross. Pilate, a Roman governor, writing scripture, being God's, well, messenger. Now, that doesn't make sense, unless we understand that both the left-hand kingdom and the right-hand kingdom, the kingdom of earth and the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Christ and the kingdom of this world's governments, they're both God's kingdoms. They both serve under God's direction, and they serve, whether they know it or not, at God's behest. So, Pontius Pilate thinks that he's just simply appeasing a mob and Coming up with an amenable solution, one man die, that the whole nation not go into a riot and Pilate probably lose his office if not his head, as Caesar would find out. But Jesus says something similar in today's gospel. They trying to catch him in in their words, in his words, right? These Pharisees and Herodians. Herodians are the uh, old school conservative types. The Pharisees, of course, are the progressive liberal types. Both have become a uniparty of sorts and have come to try to get Jesus on trumped-up charges. No pun intended. It happened. It's an unfortunate name, isn't it, sometimes? All right. So they say, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully and that you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances. You tell the truth. You're going to speak truthfully. Tell us what you think. Is it contrary to God's law, this is what they're asking, to pay taxes to Caesar or not? All right, so these are both experts in God's law. The Herodians are the traditionalists. They hold to all of the scriptures, all the way through the prophet Micah and Chronicles. Whereas the Pharisees, as you know, are a little bit more focused on the commandments and less so on the prophetic words of prophecy and that sort of thing. They're the ones who are more concerned about how people live and less concerned about what God had said. In any case, they have joined together because they have, well, a common enemy. And they're trying to catch Jesus saying that God's law says they shouldn't be paying taxes, in which case then he's a great Messiah for them because, just like you, they hate paying taxes to Caesar. They think it's their money. God gave it to them. It's not theirs. It's not Caesar's. He can't demand it back. So in that case, they've got the kind of Messiah they want, but they already know that that's not true and he's not going to fall for that. So what they want him to say is to say that it is lawful to pay taxes to Caesar and then they'll have the people against him because again, there's only, what, two things that are sure in life? The first, death and taxes, that's correct. So there's two things then that only people hate more in life than taxes and death. By the way, taxes and death do correspond to our articulation of the, of the um, three uses of the law. The first use of God's law, the civil use, taxes. The second use, the accusing use, wages of sin, is death. So taxes and death actually correspond to what we confess are the two uses of God's law. In any case, yes, there's only one thing that people hate more than death, and that's taxes. And so then they'll have the people against Jesus. And they'll get the whole mob to be riled up and, of course, They'll get what they want, his death, get him out of the way. But notice Jesus is aware of their malice. Of course, Jesus knows the heart. And he says, why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? Now, by saying they're hypocrites, what he means is that um, they are trying to hold him accountable to the law of God, which, of course, he is. It's his law, after all. But they themselves don't want to be held by the same standard, by the same law. That's what hypocrisy is. Rules for thee and not for me. So, knowing their malice, he has the ultimate test here. He brings a coin, right? And again, they think of this coin as belonging to them, the denarius. But as the maxim goes, use Caesar's coin, pay Caesar's tax. Or use the U.S. dollar, and then the U.S. gets your dollars. So they brought them the denarius. He said to them, whose icon and name is is this. And of course, the denarius has the image of Caesar stamped right onto it. That tells you whose it is. It belongs to Caesar. And it also has his name. You can find many of these coins. Some even say like Caesar Augustus, the famous Caesar you know from the birth story. So Jesus says to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's articulating that this coinage doesn't belong to the church. It doesn't belong to Jesus. It is, of course, under God's purview, as all the kingdoms of this world are. But that's where the uncomfortable truth really comes in, isn't it? We understand Christ's kingdom. It's a kingdom that he rules through his suffering and death, forgiving sins, giving the promise of resurrection and life everlasting. His kingdom is ruled with grace and mercy and peace not like this world, which is by law, by compulsion, by obligation, by punishment, and by death. So we understand Christ's kingdom, but what we don't believe is that that other kingdom, the kingdom of this world, is also God's. And the consequence of that, then, is that we can't actually believe, or we don't trust that God is actually working through even the most uncivil government. Now, there are many examples in the Bible. We see this over and over, that God uses earthly rule, even the most terrible earthly rule, be it Sennacherib, king of Assyria, or Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, or Cyrus, also king, who we heard prophesied in Isaiah. Cyrus, also king of Persia. Or Pontius Pilate, governor of Judea, or Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, or, well, Donald Trump or Joseph Biden, or Governor Evers. Name your civil servant, so-called. That God uses them for our good. He even uses the worst decisions they make for our benefit. This is an uncomfortable truth. He even uses the coinage that they meant for our benefit. But this is what, of course, the prophet Isaiah told us in our Old Testament text. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, that's the hand of power, to subdue nations before him, to loose the belt of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes and secret places, that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. In other words, God has named Cyrus and given him all of this authority. But Then he goes on, that that authority was given to Cyrus for the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel my chosen. I call you, Cyrus, by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord and there is no other, besides me there is no other God. I equip you, though you do not know me. The people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. And this is where it gets the most uncomfortable. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Fine. I form light and create darkness. I make weal and woe. That is, I make well-being, and I create evil. I am the Lord who does all these things. Again, both kingdoms. Both the law and the kingdom of this world, and the gospel, forgiveness of sins, the kingdom of Christ. Which begs the question then, why the kingdom of this world? What is the purpose of Caesar, prototypically, or the empire, or the United States of America? For the sake of repentance, which is of course the use of the law, to show us our sin, to punish evildoers and to commend those who do well, to drive us away from faith or trust in ourselves, or any of the earthly power, or any earthly wealth, or anything of this world drive us away from our trust in those things, things that will see moth and dust and rust and decay, and instead drive us to faith in Christ, who will see us through all things, as he saw his people through exile in Assyria, the northern kingdom, or exile in Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar, exile in Egypt under the Pharaoh. It was God who sent them into exile to show them their sin, to bring them to repentance, to turn them into to faith, ultimately in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, for their life, and for their eternal salvation. It's been difficult for us to go through the book of Ezekiel. Those of you who have been in Bible study with us on Sunday, you know it was probably about 36, maybe plus or minus chapters that were very difficult to hear. But through all of that, we find out, as Ezekiel had told the people, that God was at work in even destroying his own temple taking his own people into exile, oppressing them even under terrible tyrant king of Babylon. Again, that they would repent and look to Christ for their life, the shepherd, the one shepherd of Israel. Which means that then actually we can treat all the things of this world, even our own life, all the things belonging to the left-hand kingdom, which is on your right, I guess, but my left, (laughs) We can treat all of all earthly authority, earthly wealth, power, dominion, might, all of that as believing under God's mighty hand, being used for our benefit, for the benefit of repentance towards Christ for the forgiveness of sins. That like Pilate, we can actually confess: the king of the Jews, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the faithful, of Jacob, of Israel that is, of God's chosen people, the people who have been called and elected to faith in him. Not trusting in the kingdoms of this world to save us from anything, not even from death, but rather trusting in Christ and Christ alone for everything needed for body and life. You remember in the second article of the Apostles' Creed, there's a key line in here, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, like the denarius. But what has Jesus rendered for us? What wealth has he spent? that's far greater a price that needed to be paid than any coin could ever pay, is that he paid for our sins to redeem us from sin, from death, and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, that is not with denariuses or dollars or bitcoin or whatever your currency of choice is, but with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death, that I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. That means that you are God's and what you render to God well, is you, is your life. He's put his name upon you so you belong to him in baptism. He's called you his own child and so you have everything to give to him because it all belongs to him. No need to hold so tightly onto this life and the kingdoms of this world or even to earthly wealth. Rather hold or cling on to Christ who has paid the full purchase price and demands nothing of you even gives you all that is needed for faith and life by his Spirit. Thanks be to Jesus in his holy name. Amen. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sherman Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org That's stjohnrandomlake.org slash support and give today.